0: woo Welcome to the Summer Call Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today.
1: It's Tuesday. Tuesday. Oh yeah, I'm feeling the Tuesday energy right now. Yeah. Well, we've been, you know, we record the podcast every Tuesday and I feel like it's been three weeks since we last recorded the podcast. Least,
0: it's pretty wild. Somewhere between three weeks and three years, uh, especially based on how we're smelling right now.
1: I know. I was going to say, it's been three weeks, but we've only taken four showers in that, <laughs> yeah. period, in that period of time. Well, we've been doing more doubles. So, you know, we'll run in the morning and then run yeah. in the PM. And it's like, why would we take a shower in between the double? That's just inefficient.
0: I also I feel like there's something there. When I take a shower, I come back and I'm much sleepier. I'm like I'm ready to take a nap. If I don't shower, I think there's some pheromone or something in my body that is just ready to attack the day. Bringing
1: in the charged energy to the training logs. Well, you're pretty fast with the shower turnaround. For me, I get into the bathtub after training and I'm sitting there and I'm just having this like mind blowing (laughs) experience staring at bubbles. I'm like, look at this bubble bath in here. This is great. I got my music rocking and I take a long time in there. But you're pretty efficient with the shower. You are
0: you are really into bubbles. you're in the bath actually reminds me you're listening to michael Pollan on the sway podcast and he was talking about his experiences with peyote or mescaline whatever it's called um and he said that this drug just makes you hyper aware of everything at all times it's like all of the experience you ever need is within your senses and so i imagine that's a bubble drug to the max well
1: that's how i feel after running that's that's exactly why i train as much as i do because after running i'm like on a mescaline sort of experience that's what it does to
0: my brain that's fascinating do you feel that way when you're running a little bit like you're hyper aware of the things around you or do you kind of daze out it depends on how
1: shitty i feel when (laughs) i'm running when i'm feeling shitty i'm like this is not a experience i need to be out of this but when i feel good it's yeah. truly a transcendent like it's transcendent out there. i it's wish awful. i could
0: i wish i could be inside of your brain at some point it actually reminds me today i was running with drew holman and we saw this runner coming over the hill and this runner was fucking flying coming <laughs> uh, down, down the hill and i'm like what's going on there and all of a sudden a runner's arms start going up in the air um off in the distance like a quarter mile away and i'm like that's megan there is some experience going on right now i'm not sure what drug it is exactly maybe you were sniffing glue or something
1: well whenever i see you on easy days i'm like I have to slow down. Yeah, yeah, so I'm yeah, the, yeah. I'm not the rock and yeah. cruising. And then also, too, we've been working on my form recently, yeah. and I'm like, I can't show in my form. I got to like <laughs> raise my arms and do crazy things that way. My form can't be analyzed. It just totally hides it. Yeah, yeah. So. Granted, your
0: cadence was fucking fantastic today. My, I'm
1: bumping my cadence up to 180. I'm pretty proud of it. How did that happen? What's going on? Well, I just made a conscious effort to do it across two different runs. I yeah, was yeah. like, I'm gonna focus on this the entire run, and then like magic, it stuck. It's yeah. really. I mean, it's. I didn't know the brain could do that. I'm pretty proud of my brain. I didn't. I didn't think my brain had the capability <laughs> to do that at all.
0: I'm pretty proud. Of of my brain. that that should be another shit. I mean, or for something.
1: someone like my brain can't manage to take the trash out every every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was able to increase my cadence across every single run. And so I'll, I'll take it.
0: It only took five years or whatever. Um, but that's been really fun because I feel like we've lived so many different lives since the podcast recording, and we're gonna get into a little bit of why that is. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel a little bit immortal right now.
1: It's great. Well, we were driving to Steamboat this weekend. Side note, Steamboat Springs is an incredibly bonkers amazing place. <laughs> yeah. I was out there running, having just fully transcendent experience out in the trails just being like this is incredible.
0: Yeah, the trails, one, they feel like they have a lot of oxygen. Two, they're basically like California trails at times. Like not that many rocks, pretty great. This is brought to you by the steamboat tours. No, not actually not, but um I loved that place. It was so cool.
1: So there's a spot in Santa Cruz in California that I absolutely love called Forest of Nicene Marks. And it feels like we're just bathing in oxygen out there because of the way the redwood trees are like yeah. I know they're just out there like resplendent in their beauty <laughs> and you're running through them and feeling so good because yeah. it's at sea level and I felt like so Steamboat Springs we were running between seven and nine thousand feet a lot of it and I was like it feels like there's more oxygen yeah. out here like I, I felt like we were running at sea level it was weird
0: yeah the photosynthesis is efficient as fuck in those places
1: it was like marrying the ecosystems of Forest of Nicene Marks and Steamboat Springs and I was all for it i'm for the mashup ecosystem oh yeah like you know that. like so like you know when you're running in, in colorado and you're like this feels like a pacific northwest yeah. trail my brain loves that yeah. for some reason it's like the
0: movie pitch perfect that had all the matchup songs that's how you are with ecosystems
1: my my brain just loves mashups songs yeah. trails coffees all of that. <laughs>
0: Well, we also got to listen to really fun podcasts on the way since this drive, I mean, it was pretty rough traffic, ended up being like four or five hours both ways. And it was very fun to sit down as going going through these beautiful places with all the leaves changing and talk about topics that had nothing to do with running or nature and were about like, the limits of human experience in things. Um, we talked a little, we listened to one on artificial general intelligence, which is one of my most favorite topics that we'll get into a little bit later, but it also made us think a little bit about mortality more generally. Um, so we've been having a, a mix of really fun experiences mixed with really deep experiences. Last night, for example, <laughs> said, Megan said, we didn't talk they were, I didn't say I was gonna say this, but Megan's like, David, we're getting older every day.
1: I said that right before we were about to go to bed. Yeah. And then we just snuggled and it got all better. <laughs> it really primes some good. What you really need to do to bring the snuggling energy is just to talk about deep things. Like we're eating, we're going to die. And then we're yeah. like, oh, the answer, we must snuggle right now. <laughs> it, was a, it was a cuddle puddle right there.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's feel like someone out there that is single needs to try that in their dating profile. We're all going to die. So you might as well date me. I'm the only warm we- body here. We might
1: as well snuggle. It's going to make life a whole lot better. But you had, I mean, as we were driving, you were just like deeply in thought about the idea yeah. that you're like, well, I think someday as humans, we're going to live to be like 300, 400, 500. Yeah. And Megan, I don't think we're going to experience that. And you got so sad <laughs> and so emotional about it. And I was like, David, we're living like 300 years yeah. in our life right now because we're so busy.
0: Yeah. I think that 300 is probably like a low end estimate based on what's going to be coming down. But we're going to talk about that in a minute because this just that's just what this podcast is all about. Um, before getting into the, the what we were doing in SEBA, uh, I want to say on Science Corner is going to be a new episode that's going to drop this Friday.
1: Woo! Woo-hoo. We're pumped about it. So
0: subscribe uh, to the podcast now um, and you'll get notified as soon as it comes out. We're not sure exactly when. We're going to record it tomorrow and then release it.
1: The premise of Science Corner. So we're going to do a deep dive into one specific training topic and just go crazy on yeah. the science and actually go wild on the science. I, I, I learned yes. that you cannot say the word crazy and I apologize for that. Um, so we're going to go wild on science. But even though we're having one dedicated Science Corner episode, we're still going to bring tons of science into this podcast. Yeah. And the science is going to range from barnacles and training <laughs> to all of that. Because we had some listeners reach out to us and they said, you know, we love of the science in your episodes and don't worry we're not getting rid of yeah. that we're just doing one focused deep dive
0: yeah i think one of the things is because this podcast is now it's listened to by a lot of people that aren't necessarily just runners um we always want to broaden it out, so if we're going to dive that deep into one training topic um we think it should be a little bit more optional whether athletes are getting uh getting it um right off the bat so uh why were we in steamboat Well, we currently have a big time emotional hangover from the Run Rabbit Run races, uh, which is a hundred mile and a 50 mile on those trails. We had tons of athletes there. Um, We were there to cheer, to do a little bit of side crew and at aid stations, to just have an all around good time.
1: It was incredible. Also asterisk to that. It was 106 miles. It wasn't just a hundred miles. I feel like that six miles is actually, that's a lot to tack onto at the end of a hundred miles. Anyone
0: uh, Carl Maltzler has this quote that uh, 100 miles is not that far or something like that. Also,
1: counterpoint, 100 miles is incredibly far.
0: <laughs> really fucking far. I actually was going to mention that quote in my article today that came out, and I decided not to because I, was like, I don't want to like tweet him directly. But now that we're on the podcast, and he's probably not listening, I'm like, to anyone that thinks it's not far, show up at mile 100 of 106 at Run Rabbit Run. I saw people that were right at the front of the field going through full existential crises about these final six miles that they had to run downhill. They're like, I just can't do it. I just can't move. I have to sit at this aid station for 55 minutes and eat bacon because I cannot go another step further.
1: I mean, heck with mile 100. Talk about mile 15. So we had athletes at mile 15. We were out there seeing them on the course and they were like, I feel like I've been running forever. And that's the nature of Run Rabbit Run is it's high altitude, the trails, especially at the start, a ton of, a ton of just like gnarly roots and rocks. And 15, 17 miles on that course is a long freaking ways.
0: So fun. And it was a great uh, opportunity to see the whole community come together. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things at this race and we'll broaden it out to things that apply to all types of athletes. Um, So I thought the coolest experience wasn't just the time with our athletes which was really special but the time with all of the athletes so on friday we get there and our first thing is we're going to go for a run to try to front load our miles because we're not sure how much we're going to be able to get in that week
1: spectating and crewing and yeah. coaching at an ultra race is exhausting yeah i mean you should I, I every time i have an athlete go to pace a race i'm like let's let's account for this yeah. in the training log quite heavily because it's it's a taxing on the body yeah, actually what
0: i do is i fully clear off the weekend i'm just like pacing weekend like whatever you do even if and your athlete drops out. It's tiring enough as it is. You know, Honestly, shoving bacon into people's faces at mile 43 had me exhausted for a day. But we were trying to get our miles in. So we go out there. We go and run. Actually, uh, we're, we're, we're going to talk about what happened on that run early uh, a little bit later. But as we're running, we get to the top. We get to the first aid station. And we realize, oh, we found the course. And so we can run down the course, which is on this wide fire road going up the mountain to start and get to see all of the early starters. So the, there's at this race, there's an 8 AM start and a noon start. The 8 AM start is called the tortoises I kind of I don't, I, was say, that. I don't
1: love that so in that when I was referring to them throughout the this yeah. I just called it wave one and wave two yeah, it's like why I call someone a tortoise they're doing freaking awesome things they're covering 106 yeah. miles let's not call them a tortoise I guess
0: the tortoise won in that uh parable you know that's, the tortoise and the that's very true that being said I don't know if we want to be rumped in it's like like last week it'd be like calling the first wave the heifers this <laughs> <laughs> is <just> not okay
1: <laughs> not a good idea but actually side note to that so when we got up to the first aid station that was like 3,800 or 4,000 yeah. feet of vert so I mean we covered that in seven mm-hmm. miles and and that just underscores how difficult this yeah. process is. <laughs> My
0: legs were fucking trashed. And I'm like, oh, so if I got here, I would have 99 <laughs> miles to go, um, which is pretty daunting. Um, but the most fun part was getting to go down that hill and see all of these racers, probably a few hundred racers going up. And probably a lot of you are listening right now based on the comments we got. And we were just hooping, ho- hooping and hollering and trying to make yelling, them laugh.
1: Yelling fool who's out yeah. there, giving hugs, high fives. It just was the most uplifting, inspiring. Yeah. It was incredible seeing these runners head out on their journey. Yeah, I mean, I
0: hope we were able to help a little bit, like, you know, maybe get them out of some of the nerves that they were experiencing. Um, But on the flip side, they helped us so much. I have never felt better about existence as a human being than having all of these people embarking on the most impossible journey ever, Then, like responding to our woo-hoos. And it gets back to a lot of what we talk about with like positive reinforcement and all of this stuff. It's not just about like being honest and uplifting a person. It's also about uplifting yourself. I felt so good when we got down that mountain. I
1: love the term soul cup. And I feel like after that experience, my soul cup, I, I oftentimes, when I felt coffee in the morning, yeah. just get really excited and float all the way to the brim. And then it's yeah. like dripping over on the floor. And that's how my soul cup was after this <laughs> went down on Friday. It was like the power of giving love and yeah. high fives and and hoos out there just filled me up so much. It was up, amazing. Fill up
0: a soul cup, fill up a bra cup, fill up all these different types but of But it, like, it was
1: a great reflection. Like that was, it was such a like tangible way to be able to give love out there yeah. because we were actively like woohooing and, and yelling positive affirmations. But I think like there's so many different ways in which you can fill up your soul cup with love by yeah. affirming people and doing this sort of thing when it's not in a reason. Yeah, so I mean,
0: first thing is if you're a runner or anyone like that interacting with people in athletics way, it's just try to say hi, say you're fucking awesome to people more often. I think that really helps. My favorite quote on this is from Pete Holmes, uh, a comedian that's been really meaningful to me over the years, which is, we spend so much of our lives withholding from people what they really want. What if we gave it to them instead? And that's kind of what has formed the basis of both his comedy and how he does podcasts and things like that. And I read this right as Swap was forming for the first time. And I was like, fuck, that is it. That it describes exactly what I hope to do. And um, you know, when, when we we're out there on the trails, like that was maybe the coolest thing of the whole weekend is everyone was doing that to everyone because I think there's this uh permission that is like implicitly granted that you don't have to be a normal formal adult at these events you can be a crazy motherfucker that yells woohoo all the damn time which is really fun and
1: i think what people doing out, what people were doing out there was truly awesome oh, my like God. putting one foot in front of the other and covering 106 miles no matter how you do it yeah no matter if you're the first person or that or dfl is freaking amazing and awesome and approaching deserving it in the of, first yes, place like yeah. i mean
0: what's what's remarkable about that to me i mean i've never gone 100 mile personally and the reason is like i don't feel capable like there's so much, that is so difficult. And like, I'm not ready to take that risk yet. Anyone who gets to that start line or even thinks about doing that thing is making a risk and taking a chance that shows ultimate vulnerability and chance to learn. And I'm like, wow, I hope I can do that with anything. I mean, I think I do that with other things more than I do with running. And I need to do it more with running inspired by those, uh, you know, heifers out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what I think is interesting is that everyone out there was doing objectively awesome shit. Like that is, that's undeniable. But I think actually what's fascinating to me though is that you've gotten a lot of pushback on that over the years because I've heard the counterpoint to that of people saying like, if you constantly are telling people that they're awesome all the time, does that push the bar forward of awesomeness or does it dilute the power of awesomeness? And I truly don't think it does, but how have you responded to that criticism before?
0: I mean, to me, that's the ultimate question of human existence and experience more generally. I mean I, and I used to be so self-conscious about that. We talked about that on the podcast a little bit more where I was much more reserved and quiet and worried that if I said these things I'd be viewed as like um like a lollipop type human, you know, someone that lacked substance or whatever. And then I realized after a certain point whether it was reading Pete Holmes or something else that fuck that shit. And I think the reason it gets back to existence itself. So this is the magical segue to artificial general intelligence really quickly, because I think it's one of the most fascinating places. If you've never read about, or if you've never heard about, never read about it, um, the Ezra Klein podcast that he did with the OpenAI CEO was fascinating
1: okay Ezra Klein is an incredible human so I did so we listened to this podcast on the way to steamboat and then I proceeded to listen to like 10 of his other podcasts after because his take on things is fascinating and so there'll be some Ezra Klein wisdom
0: bombs throughout this
1: podcast and he's
0: just smart and curious and everything else um but what I thought was really interesting about this podcast is one how it presents AGI more generally which is essentially we've by we, I mean a few companies in a few countries like China and Google and this OpenAI and others have created these systems that can take in basically all the information that's on the internet, constantly iterate from those processes and learn. Um, and so as computing power increases, they were saying that there's 10x per year in improvement in how these um, systems operate, which essentially means we're approaching the singularity where these things gain sentience or what we understand of as sentience. The fascinating part is how that's going to change society. That's a bigger question than we can get into now. I think for one, there can most certainly be a David Roach bot. <laughs>
1: yeah. I was, we, we were talking about this. Yeah. I think like if you feed the bot all of the training logs, yeah. like it's possible. I think I, it's entirely possible. I think possible. it's probably
0: possible right now. Um, actually, as we were doing it, I suddenly paused and I'm like, Megan, I'm already obsolete. <laughs> what, would,
1: what would the David Roach training bot say?
0: It would say fucking bananas <laughs> or something. And then give someone hill strides. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that part was eye-opening and very interesting. I think um, a lot of the world is going to change massively in the coming years. Um, but what I thought was most interesting about this podcast is Ezra Klein asked at the end, if in 20 years, we're not where you think we will be, and where the um, CEO thinks we will be is essentially this world that these sentient systems are governing most of what our actions. Obviously, that's a science fiction story for another day. He said, okay, well, if it doesn't happen in 20 years, that's due to some of these technical things that I can expound upon in more detail later. If it doesn't happen in 100 years, it's because we are fundamentally don't understand existence. And this gets back to what I was saying about um, affirmations, is he he, uh, laid out this dichotomy. On the one hand, humans and sentience, could be a neural network um, with electric input that creates an illusory sense of self. Um, And that's physics. So physics could explain consciousness. And that's what I think a lot of people understand the world to be. Uh, The second is if it doesn't work in a hundred years, this is what he says that it's evidence of that there's something else that we don't understand, whether it's um, a true under God or oneness, or we're in a simulation or something like that. Um, and my point is, either way, whichever one of those is right, fucking give people love because we're in really weird existential places.
1: Well, I heard that. And I think the first take of like, I don't know, I think the most common take would be scared of yeah, that. Yeah. But it's interesting because I heard that and it kind of felt like receiving this warm hug. Oh, wow. Because either way, it was like, okay, if I am this neural network and this, I have this like illusory self sense of self, like it doesn't fucking matter. Like we're all neural networks. Like what does this world mean? And then same like then the second option, like if there is this like being that's governing the world, that's freaking cool. (laughs) And that being is probably laughing at us right now. And I think like, I don't know. It's just fascinating to hear that. And I, my immediate reaction was just like a sense of warmth come over my body because I was like, Oh, huh, that feels yeah. just that feels welcoming in some weird way.
0: Did you want to cuddle with Ezra Klein? Is that what you're <laughs> saying? I not to want to cuddle with Ezra Klein. <laughs> I kinda of wanna cuddle with Ezra Klein after that. Um but either way, you know, being out there, seeing athletes confront this like difficult part of existence with this immense uh achievement and and stuff was to me incredibly meaningful. Um so second thing uh, from Run Rabbit Run was uh a little aside. They wouldn't let crews drive into aid stations, which is great. You know, you want to control all that. I, of course, read into that way too far, found myself parking, and I was like, charting out these routes that involve tons of bushwhacking and would get me to the crew area and so I eventually got there. But when I got there, I was covered in cuts and bruises. And I had seen some shit that I can't unsee. It was really rough.
1: That's often how you race spectate. So David <laughs> has spectated a lot of races that I've done. And you often look worse than I do yeah. at the finish line. You just come in like <laughs> covered with like scrapes and cuts. And you're like, because you've you've managed to find people on random yeah. parts of the course. And it's incredible. But
0: the difference is this time I get there and I'm covered in cuts and blood and everything. And then I, everyone's just like, you could have just driven they're not <laughs> checking <laughs> and i wasn't crewing anyone so yeah that was quite an experience also i wasn't wearing trail shoes because they hoka has discontinued the speed goat evo which is my trail shoe of choice and for those out there that have tried it, it is the saddest experience. I mean, even at this race, I mean, half the top ten was in this shoe. It is a magical trail running ultra shoe. So uh, for anyone out there who's ever experienced the sadness of your favorite of your favorite shoe being discontinued, I feel your pain.
1: Yes, I totally get it. But so we we started the day with woohoo's around mile five, and yeah. then we ended the day. I mean, actually, our day just continued for twenty yes. for twenty seven hours. But around eleven p.m., we went out to to mile forty three. I guess like between eight and eleven p.m., and we're just yelling woohoo's yeah. to runners and we were told we have a very distinctive woohoo yes. a lot of people recognized us from the podcast as we were giving woohoo's and i'm not sure these people want to listen to the podcast anymore <laughs> when we were giving woohoo's at mile five yeah. everyone was like yeah this is the swap yeah. pod this is awesome like so stoked on the race and then at mile 43 people were not stoked
0: yeah. so, at all so we couldn't tell who the headlamps are so sometimes we'd yell woohoo the headlamp would just stare at you you can't see shit because the headlamps blind you and they just say back woohoo! Or they just look back and it's just this blank stare. They just
1: give a Roy, Roy Kent, (laughs) oi.
0: Yeah, oi. Yeah, it it reminds me of like, if you have hot dogs and then get food poisoning, you don't want hot dogs again, we're going to lose a lot of listeners because that woohoo will make them also start projectile vomiting. Uh, and that's not productive at all. Um,
1: the that night aid station though yeah. was so cool. So at mile 43, we could see these headlamps and they were coming down off the mountain and they looked like these like, s- like flashing stars on yeah. the mountain. And it was so, it was just a really cool reminder of, oh my gosh, what are people doing? This is awesome. Like the ground they're covering is so cool. But then it was funny because as people were coming in, we couldn't tell who people were. Yeah. So anyone, everyone, and we were looking out for our athletes, there'd be like a seven foot tall man coming yeah. through. And we're like, is that Abby Levine? Yeah. Is she out there crushing it? It'd be like a seven foot tall man. So
0: Abby, sorry, we we thought you were a seven foot tall man about 47 times. There were a lot of seven feet tall people apparently at this event. Um. yeah, to me, that was also a reminder of the immensity of existence. It was like stars coming down. And I mean, I was getting such chills thinking about that. But there's also many great chances for humor with everyone at the age station. A little bit giddy, a little bit delirious, um, especially this one child. How old do you think he was? He
1: was probably about six and he yeah. had this little, so it was like, he formed a microphone out of like probably like a paper towel holder or something yeah. along those lines and he was just shouting at every runner, are you my daddy? <laughs> and it was yeah. so cute. But actually, I was starting to get a little worried. Yeah, like, I know. Is his daddy coming in? I don't, he, it, he did that for about 90 minutes and I was like, is his dad coming?
0: Did his dad come? I don't know. Oh no. Yeah, so I,
1: I really hope so. Maybe his dad's a podcast listener. Yeah. This, this happened for about, this kid had some some massive resolve. The kid's going to be an ultra runner someday For sure. Because his motivation level were off the chart.
0: Someone sent a search party though. Um, repre- yeah, that's uh, pretty pretty darn scary. Um also it was really striking to see the camaraderie out there. Um Megan, you were saying that uh, the the groups of two or three I didn't even really notice it but that makes a lot of sense that people were clumping together into groups.
1: There were small clumps of people and it was it was fascinating to me. Like I think that the clumps of people like overall had just stronger camaraderie yeah, and a yeah. sense of joy than the people coming in alone. And I thought that was just like a curious point about the race. Like if you're struggling, find your headlamp yes. friend and like join a pack. It just seems like much more joyous than the people coming in solo.
0: Yeah. Make sure it's consensual. Yeah, uh, that's true. But yeah, I was thinking it reminded me a lot of the cosmic microwave background, which we talked about like way back in many, many months ago. Um, so in the early universe, there's all this energy that's uh, condensed. And but when they look at this energy now, and they they look back, they can see that it's not perfectly uniform. And thank God, because the uh, little clumps that formed that were very very minute is why we have planets and all this. Because those little gravitational um, irregularities led to things bringing to coming together. And it made me think that if there was a race that was a thousand miles long, if you have all these irregular irregularities and their gravitational pull, we'd essentially have a giant rave orgy. Like everyone would just be together. (laughs) All the headlamps would be
1: clumping together. It's so great. As her
0: climb would be thrusting, (laughs) it would just be classic.
1: Well, also too, so last podcast, I talked about the idea of big dump truck energy. Like on those days, and I just feel a heavy in my body of just being out there on the trails, like beep, beep, I'm coming through. Beep, beep, motherfuckers. And an athlete looked at me at mile 43. This was a guy and he had basically a full headlamp bar across his waist. It was genius. I mean, he was lighting up the trail like he was I saw a disco party out there. On a fair the
0: number of people with that.
1: Pretty fascinating.
0: I think that might be a, a new thing. I think. Uh, it, I
1: mean, it looked like a great, a, just a great experience out there. But he turned to me and he was like Big Mac truck energy, referring <laughs> to the bar of light that he had across his waist, and I loved it. I was like, Dude, you are my man.
0: How can anyone be that quick at that point of a of a race? Like the, mentally, it was, it was shocking. Um, also, it brings up a point of making sure your lighting devices are good if you're running. At night. I think people get really scared about running at night. If you have a good light it's essentially like being scared of driving at night. Like you don't, it, it's the same thing as daytime. So what we had our athletes do for the most part is a waist lamp and a headlamp. And then the headlamp, if you you just need to buy really expensive ones. I was gonna say, there's a
1: big, this is like a time when there's a big difference between a $15 headlamp yeah. and a $100 headlamp.
0: Huge lumen. difference. I saw, okay, lumen. <laughs> The lumens. Dude, you don't want to be flaccid lumens over here. <laughs> no, so I, I saw some athletes come through with like the really low-key bad headlamps. And I'm like, they looked like little fireflies. It's so, it was so sad to me because I'm like, you are up Shit's Creek and you don't even know it yet.
1: Also out there, I mean, the trail is beautiful and it's like, you might as well see it if you're going to be covering yeah, it for, it's true. you know, for 10 hours in the dark.
0: Um. So it was just so special to be out there, um, especially because our work can be very isolating. Sometimes like even coaching when you're working with people, we're in spreadsheets a lot of the day i mean megan your research is so much in that well it's world. a lot
1: of spreadsheets a lot of coding honestly so the race was on friday i was taking I had like eight work calls yeah. on friday and i was trying to coach at the same time and it was just all over the place yeah.
0: i loved your quote so megan was sitting there in the bed when i was going to the first aid station which she couldn't make um and uh she she channeled lance armstrong and she said i'm on my butt six hours a day making some calls What are you on?
1: I will sit on my butt all morning work. (laughs)
0: Um, It's so funny that Lance Armstrong was saying that you know he was on his saddle uh, six hours a day. But I think that that is very we have very good sitting. We're very good at sitting. We uh, definitely create divots uh, everywhere we freaking go. Um, So big question: Why do people do this stuff? And I think it's really relevant for why anyone does anything that's big and scary and almost inconceivable when you think about it intellectually. um, Which goes for like quitting your job or jumping into a relationship or getting married, any of this shit is such a big task. If you actually understand what goes into it.
1: And I think when you think about why it's always really helpful to get to experience it yeah, yeah. first before even like crafting your why. Um, and I think for us, that was so instructive. Like I think any athlete that's running a hundred, like go out pace crew, be out there during a hundred. And you're going to learn so much about that. Experience. Yeah. Or
0: talk to someone that is actually in the field. I have an athlete right now that's debating becoming a surgeon and I'm like, Well, one, read the happiness studies on surgeons Two, talk to surgeons in an honest way, not in a job interview way, like get to know them personally.
1: And three, go stand in an OR for 20 hours and see how you feel about the world after the fact.
0: (laughs) That's so true. Um, So uh, the first thing is that this really is a full exploration of that unknown. Um, and the cool thing about hundreds is you experience it all in like a day or two, um, which is totally different uh, than maybe some of the big life things like becoming a surgeon, which is you experience it over a decade or two. Um, the the quote that I love here is first with the head, then with the heart. And that's what hundreds are, is you start and you're fully in this intellectual space. Of how much energy do I give? When do I feel? When do I do these things? And at some point, it just blends over to the heart. How much do I have to give? How much can I put myself out there? What is actually within me? And that. Point that inflection point, which is kind of this unknown liminal space that's really hard to get to, that is the coolest shit. And I love it.
1: It's and that's where memories are made and you learn so much about yourself. I think, I mean, I think the numbers break down differently for everyone. I think probably the first 60 miles of the race is kind of just this like thought experiment, yeah. the brain pushing itself forward. The last 40 miles of the race, so hard to prepare for. Oh and that's where the heart comes in. And
0: that's what's beautiful about these events. I mean, and it's why it's such a great metaphor for life more generally. Um And I I loved this quote from an athlete in their training log, which I think might be a, a little bit relevant to this. Coyote's on the trail today. I feel like a coyote sometimes, living in that liminal space between domestic and feral. And that, to me, is what it's all about. You're living in that space between domestic, like this plan, this head, and feral like this this place of physical nature of, of heart of all of these things that we don't really understand And that's basically what taking any chance in life is
1: that's a beautiful quote also I'm just sitting here thinking about this and I especially love this because we've had conversations on the podcast before about how addy dog Has gotten in yeah. trouble for running at large and how uh-huh. I really identify with that in fact We need running at large merchandise. Yes, yes like yes. that would be an amazing t-shirt screen print, but you can't actually run at large if you're a feral animal.
0: That's true. Yeah. So
1: if you're, if you're towing that line between domestic and feral, you can't get caught by the law.
0: <laughs> well, Addie's at least feral when it comes to like the dreadlocks that are hanging from <laughs> ears. She's very,
1: feral. everyone comments
0: on that. They pat her and they're yeah. like,
1: have you taken your dog to a groomer in six years? Yeah, Answer, a, no. <laughs> no.
0: Addie expresses her own anal glands. She doesn't need no groomer. Um, Yeah. And then now we're going to read a quote, and this is uh, the second point on why athletes do this, from an athlete that did a hundred last week who gave permission to share this. She said, overwhelmed with gratitude, cried on and off for the last like five hours because I couldn't believe what my body and mind were able to do and how much love was pouring in from my crew and friends and family. I've never felt so loved, so alive, so successful. I fucking love this shit and I'm absolutely made for this sport. Sign me up for another one stat. Was even thinking about that during the race. You were right. I was ready. And that to me is everything. The, the power of big, scary things is not the question of like, are you successful? Or even if you... Uh, you know, make it to the finish line. The power of big, scary things is letting you know that it's okay to take risks. And that's where the fun happens,
1: and that there's a certain talent in being willing to take risks. So I actually, as I was listening to Ezra Klein this week, and he, of course, was blowing my yeah. mind. And he actually had this amazing quote from Natasha Leone, and she's she's one of the stars in Russian doll. And she kind of talked about the idea of having the talent to use your talent. Okay. And I think that especially applies um in the idea of like racing 100s. is that, like, you have to have the talent for putting yourself out there and yeah, actually yeah. making use of these gifts of like the gift of relentless forward progress or the gift of like being able to show up there and perform with your head and heart. And that takes a lot of
0: grit yeah. and a lot of personal grip, but then also like community and support systems too. I mean, like whether, you know, at hundred, it's like your crew or whatever. And for her, it's her, like Amy Poehler was her producer. I know on Russian doll and things like that. And it, what it brings home to me is like my one question for everyone listening right now. Should you quit your job? Like, even if you never, just like ruminate on that for a second. You don't need to think about it long. Perhaps the answer is a quick no. But if the answer is a, wait, should I? Uh, think about it a little bit more because a lot of these big risks, you just need permission to take them. And you know, every one of us can take them. We get one shot at this, this our neural circuitry, our neural uh, network. Um, so try new things, do think scary things. Uh, that's kind of what the 100 really showed me.
1: This makes me think of the quote from Chris Martin, who's yeah, yeah. the lead singer of Coldplay. Also, so many Coldplay jokes. <laughs> but he has the idea of never let an idea go on pursuit. And maybe Coldplay suffered from that a little too much. <laughs> but I, I actually really identify with that. The idea that like, I mean, and maybe that's a little bit extreme. But like, yeah. if you have this brilliant idea, like, don't let that go on pursuit. Like, yeah. follow that. See where that leads. And take take a risk and take a bet on yourself. I
0: mean, I think so many people have that. Including like, I've been sitting on a novel idea that's all based in this general intelligence or artificial intelligence world forever, for like three years now. And I love this novel idea, but I'm just not starting it. And I don't know why. Um, And I think I'm really good at this and other things. Like I I was really willing to make the leap in coaching, obviously, with a relationship when I bought a ring after like a week um, or whatever. Uh, But I think a lot of people do hold themselves back creatively because they think that, oh, well, they're not a writer, they're not an artist or whatever. And so they don't make that first step and so in addition to questioning whether maybe you should quit your job also be like okay what is that thing that just is a little mouse in the back of my head saying like oh skitter 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 like whatever that is do it do it even if it it goes nowhere so what chris martin was saying is you can just pursue it for 30 minutes and like "Ah, i don't need that idea anymore but that usually is enough to show you the path
1: And talk about it too, because I think that the more you talk about it and the more you like share it with people, the more you learn, because you were telling me that idea for the novel and my immediate response was, fuck yes. David, you are a brilliant writer. And I'm like, the world needs to see you write. And sometimes like a different context other than writing, because the way that you explain and break down thoughts and create analogies (laughs) would be incredible in a novel setting. And I'm (laughs) I'm really pumped for it. So like, but you sharing that, I can affirm it's Go for it. Well,
0: I'm, uh, you can tell Megan's moving her arms because if you heard a cup move, that is that cup is like four feet away from Megan and she just hit that cup with her her That's hobo. how
1: passionate I am about the idea. Do you, Do you think it's a good idea? You... I think it's a great idea and I'm so proud of you for actively because we've been talking about this for like three years now yeah. and every time you bring it up, I'm giving you this enthusiastic and resounding go for it and you talking about it on the podcast means you're one step closer <laughs> to going for it. I can
0: feel it. That's true. Whenever we say something on the podcast, it usually happens.
1: It's got to happen. Yeah, um, announcing it to the people. And
0: it gets back to the next athlete's quote actually, which I think is really relevant for this. You know, what's wild. I was so worried about my mind going into this race, had all this backup stuff to think about when the going got tough, but I never once thought about quitting, never once questioned why I was doing this. It was pure determination. Like when I was in active, aggressively puking. I was like, fuck, this shit needs to stop because I need to keep moving. But my brain never once dipped into the dark places I expected it to. I didn't know what time it was until like 7am because I was so damn focused. Our brains are amazing. The sport is amazing. This community is next level absurdly amazing. And what I love about that is that, you know, before this event, she was thinking of all the ways it could go wrong, much like I am with the novel. (laughs) And that is not the way to structure decisions. The way to structure decisions is think of all the ways it can go right. And then to pursue those things with the understanding that you're also going to have some adversity along the way
1: and just freaking keep on moving and i actually came across um so jeff tweedy he's the he's in the band wilco he wrote this oh, book cool. called how to write just one song and oh, wow. it's an incredible book and he had this quote in there that i really identified with he said maybe it's a cliche but you have to focus on verbs over nouns what you want to do not what you want to be oh, and wow. i love that quote that you read from the athlete because like it really like there is so much focus on the verbs there from puking to moving <laughs> and not the focus on the noun of the finish yeah and i think it's really i think it's really curious to me the idea of just like getting to a race and focusing on continuing to move and yeah. having these like you know focusing on the verbs and the, the act of doing as opposed to getting so caught up in the finish and I love wait
0: that. what is what is your verb
1: my verb yeah yeah my verb in life uh-huh. uh
0: fucking
1: okay. oh god <laughs> that's like that was my go-to choice on mad libs putting me on the okay. spot oh my am god. i allowed to say that
0: go for it i mean if, if people get this far in the podcast i assume they're on our side uh in the uh in the wars here um yeah i was thinking another funny way to interpret that would have been like cilantro wait or er, not herbs verbs. um so but your answer was far better um and then uh one of the final takeaways is that it, this isn't all glorious, right? Like, not um, at all. No, not at all. I mean, that's what's so cool about it. It's like the opposite. The reason it's life in a day is that life also contains like uncontrollable puking and hanging yourself and all the other stuff that goes into you know human existence. And I think that that's really powerful.
1: And I think so when I talk to athletes, I I I've kind of introduced the idea of we need a, ra- a waiver for races. Like yeah. When I have athletes sign up for these 100 mile races, we need to give them like, this race may be a transformative experience that you look yeah. back on for the rest of your life. It may absolutely fundamentally change your life. But the side effects are the, of the race are plenty. They may be vomiting like a garden hose sprinkler, like <laughs> <Yeah>. uncontrollable pooping, <laughs> existential crises, impending doom. All of these are yeah. plausible side Honestly. effects of a race. And I think like, that's the whole point yeah but i think like we the the concept of a waiver is just interesting like i think we really need to introduce this as like this may happen
0: ultras or other big things are a little bit like what it sounds like when people take ayahuasca because ayahuasca everyone says they also poop and vomit uncontrollably and sometimes have existential breakthroughs and sometimes like you know revert back to ancestral uh trauma and stuff so uh maybe there's a deeper thing here that applies also to the meaning of existence um but what we try to talk to about athletes in that context is that while we want them to be aware that we're doing these things for a reason that there is a strong lie that the whole point partially is to deal with the shit that happens um, so from our pre-race email that we send to people Um, Is this, and this is in all bold, uh, which is just one of a few things. Like everything else in bold is all about logistics, like how you fuel, um, how you approach aid stations, things like that. This is more about mindset. Most importantly, don't envision the perfect day, envision the imperfect day. Prepare now for a bad day and decide how you will respond. The answer respond with courage and strength. Only DNF if your health is at risk or if you know for a fact that you don't really care about finishing. You owe it to your future self to play out this mental calculus before the start line. And then mindset, the narrative in your head is in your control. Let's decide now that the narrative will be uplifting and strong.
1: I think that final point, that final sentence is the most important sentence of all that the narrative, you are in control of your narrative, even when and I think the the nature of these races is that everything at some point you get to mile 60 and everything yeah. feels out of your control. Yeah. You're vomiting, you can't keep food in, like all of this stuff. And you can't predict it in it, advance. It's yes, just gonna it's, happen it's just impossible. You sprain your ankle, whatever. But you are in control of that narrative. And yeah. how cool is
0: that? It's so cool, but it's also daunting because that also applies to everything else. You know, like I'm saying quit your job. It's like yeah, if you quit your job, that's going to be fucking harsh. Like, no, matter almost for almost anyone. Um, actually, the athlete that talked about being being a coyote earlier um, is is pursuing that in their own lives. And that's why it was so powerful to me because I'm like, yeah, that person knows that they're in for some lean times, probably. Like, much like that coyote. Um, but who wants to be the, like, pampered domesticated animal anyway? Where's the fun in that shit? You just call it running at large. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so a, a few follow-ups from the last few weeks that are, are kind of fun. Uh, The first is we talked shit about ankles last week and ankle sprains and stuff. And this week, while we're on that first run that we talked about, I run ahead and I'm going to get photos of Megan. And so I'm sitting there taking live photo on the iPhones, a great thing for those of us with shitty form at home. And... All of a sudden, Megan pulls up while I'm taking these pictures. I didn't really see or understand what happened.
1: And absolutely yelped in pain. Yeah. So my ankle went through, and we'll create this as a noun, full ankle fuckage. <laughs> yeah. Like that is that, fuckage. is that is my noun. Yeah. If ver, if fucking is my verb. Fuckage is my noun. <laughs> and my ankle was booked. It was I, so bad. So you got it on, on camera. Yeah. And literally, you can see my ankle bone hitting the, so the rock on the- I posted
0: it. On Instagram this morning as a story.
1: Oh, I couldn't even look at it. It was
0: a very funny story because it like had zoom ins. It had like a whole story being told. I was pretty proud of it. And uh, then I get back from my run uh, with Drew this morning. And so many people were talking about like they were having like trauma responses. I to- was too. So
1: you show me So you show me the... the- the photo after it happened yeah. and honestly my ankle didn't hurt that bad yeah. i mean i had to stop for like a minute and a half kind of regroup i had a little nausea but i continued on with the run was totally fine this is the perks of not really having ankle yeah. ligaments to begin with my my ankle ligaments are non-existent but you show me the photo after the fact and it hurt 10 times worse yeah. after i saw the photo yeah, I mean, it a created a visceral response number of me. people
0: said gumby like you had yeah, gumby oh. ankles yeah, uh, yeah even now uh, i'm fully I'm, turned over Then that being said, maybe we're vindicated in our shit talking of ankles because you did what looked like a fucking annihilation, a a pure fuckage. And you ran 25 miles the next two days. So maybe ankles, actually, no, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even tempt fate with ankles, uh, because you know, we're totally going to break something next time out. Um, the, the second thing is, Sports bras now come with their own set of boots,
1: essentially? Yeah, yeah. So, so Megan, you
0: got, you were talking about the other week that your sports bras were a little smelly. This is a very
1: important follow-up. So, I said, all my sports bras are, like, seven years old. Yeah. They just have a baked-in smell. Like, I don't smell good. We've established that on this podcast. I have some interesting smells. Fortunately, David thinks they're pheromones. They are definitely not pheromones. David's <laughs> just the kind of person. So, I got new sports bras. Yeah. Yeah. They literally come with their own set of boobs. It's wild. So they have these, they're called padded sports yeah. balls, but the pads are monstrous. They're like four times the size of my boobs. I don't know what happened
0: because I've, I've seen a lot of these pads in our in our laundry over time. They used to be like modest, you know, like now this one was like six inches wide and four inches high. This could easily be used as one of those cups at aid stations where you just take it, put it under the, uh, the cooler and get like... A dose of Gatorade. Um,
1: Drinking Gatorade from boobs. This is what yeah. this is what the new world is gonna be like.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Megan, this is this is how I found out about this. She took out both pads, put them on top, turns to me, and very very seductively says. I'm just going to sit here and let you drink from my udders. <laughs>
1: that's my seductive voice that you choose. That's a great one. <laughs> that was
0: the boy. That is your seductive voice at 100%. It's. Um, and then the final little funny thing that's going to get us into some science as well um, is we were having dinner with a couple of our really close friends and athletes the other week. And within that dinner, we talked about thc and cbd as one does you have
1: been on a thc cbd science streak and you love bringing it up and i'm like david we can tone down the thc conversation just a little bit like i'm very pro supporting people's mental health all of that but like we don't need to talk about it with every single dinner guest so
0: i've had a number of athletes that tell me it's helped their mental health in different contexts and it helped their sleep and things like that and for me i'm like oh well something that doesn't really have research that's bad that says these things i'm really like interested um, but we haven't talked about it on the podcast too much because obviously it's a, it's a little bit of a tough spot because federally it's still illegal. It's banned in competition. You definitely shouldn't have it anywhere in your events. We talked a little bit about how it affects performance in the past, but what I was most interested in is like, does it change recovery? Um, but And how
1: does it impact metrics? So you were talking with these athletes yeah. about it and you got very excited. And the next day I was out on my bike, I was gravel biking, just like out there gallivanting, yeah. having a great time. And I see a text message pop up on my bike computer. And on bike computers, you can see like, it's actually pretty cool. You can see just like a limited version of the text message. Yeah. And I see in the text message, we're having a joint party in all exclamation points. And I'm like, God damn it, David. Like you are encouraging our swap athletes to have THC parties. This is entirely responsible so Megan gets home I was furious I stormed in the door and I'm like David no more conversations about THC
0: so she, she does that and I'm like oh fuck okay I understand that makes sense and so I, I text this athlete. Oh, it's like swap can't be associated with this. Blah 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 blah. And I, you know, I'm never stern like that about non not things that aren't like self destructive. And so you know, obviously, I felt really bad about it. And so then I went back and actually read the text because before I was like, oh, I was ashamed. So I couldn't even read it. And obviously, joint party meant they were having a party together. <laughs> it meant nothing about marijuana or joints.
1: And I read it on my bike, and I just was like perfectly primed. I was like, they're they're ingesting tea so This is all on David's will. Uh, so that did not pan out. But actually, they understood it was great, and this is going to serve as our. I think we actually after this, we decided we're like, okay, let's let's dive into the research. Let's really look yeah. into how THC impacts recovery metrics and performance. Yeah, so
0: we talked a little bit about performance before. Basically, there you know, there's no long term noticeable effect. But the problem with tracking recovery in particular, and we talked about this in the before in the context of heart rate variability, is that because it's a substance that is banned in most like study environments in in federally funded environments, you're not getting um, prospective studies, you're getting retrospective studies, right. So um, we're like, these people already take pot, and now we're going to measure them versus controls. And
1: why are these people taking pot? Yeah. So like maybe these people are taking pot because they're struggling mentally. Like there's a whole number of reasons that, may, that some people may take THC and those are massive confounding variables. Yeah.
0: And maybe the people that take pot really eat a lot of Cheetos, like just <laughs> yeah. so many Cheetos, like so many Cheetos. <laughs> but so there's a, there's a few really interesting studies on this. Uh, 2010 study in, uh, do you want to try that? Or should I try that?
1: Oh, pharmacopsychiatry. Whoa, what the
0: fuck? You're smart. I crushed that. Dude. You are brilliant. Actually, the
1: one thing about a podcast is our reading skills have gotten slightly better that's true. since being on the podcast. Um,
0: so this was in 2010. This was one of the first big studies on it. It took uh, 72 random people that essentially came in and uh, attested to cannabis use um, and measured them against 72 random people that were matched and controlled in the hospital. And the HRV was significantly increased in cannabis groups. So that's a good sign for recovery, theoretically, um, though, obviously that comes with a million caveats that was then underscored by this 2017 study, uh, which was in the FASEB journal. I don't even know what that sample. for. I'm and
1: saying. in the 2017 study, they actually found that HRV was lower in cannabis users. And again, the study was not a prospective study because it's, you can't have these like federally funded prospective studies in the US. Um, but again, it just shows the idea that like right now, the science on recovery metrics is yeah. all over the place. Yeah, the yeah. So
0: like one said good, one said bad, and that's a pretty large sample size to come to that broad of a uh, differing conclusions um, so there's a 2019 review in plus one that is the last 3 we're going to cite um that said and this is a quote from that study athletes who use a combination of THC and CBD exhibited the most benefit to well-being and calm with minimal adverse effects um, so basically in this review study they're finding some benefits especially with high Cbd uh, dosage dosages but long-term chronic use could affect the vagal vagus nervous system and things like that that could affect Things like hrv and we just don't know because there isn't good research out i was gonna there. say like
1: the big challenging part about this is we have essentially zero long-term studies looking at thc and cbd over the the long-term duration, and athletes especially. and athletes and i think that makes it especially challenging to predict like show us the evidence if we don't have evidence yeah. on this and i think that's incredibly challenging and that's
0: where anecdotes come in because that's kind of the world we're living in given the constraints that are put on thc um so i contacted whoop and speaking of Get your Whoop now. Uh, offer code SWAP swap for fifteen percent off. Uh, we love ourselves some Whoop. But there, some of the top people at Whoop responded, um, and they had this quote from one of their articles: Anecdotally, many Whoop members have reported seeing improved sleeping stats after logging in the Whoop journal that they're taking CBD oil. So Whoop is obviously in this place where they're like, well, we can't really talk about what we're seeing with THC necessarily at this moment in history. Well,
1: I think it's fascinating. So they, they use the term CBD oil yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I wonder like, you know, is that, and that, this is also the challenge with THC in general is there are so many different formulations yeah. of THC. There's like a plethora of THC options. And some of those are linked to CBD and some of those are not. And who knows if these users were CBD plus THC, CBD only, very hard to, yeah. to like, distinguish so, out. But I think WHOOP is in a unique position yeah. to study this. And I think actually the most fascinating THC studies
0: are going to come out of WHOOP. I bet they already know. <laughs> um, I'm sure they do, that. and they can't talk about it. Yes. I don't think I don't think we're uh, we're close enough with them yet that they're comfortable telling us their background data because they know we'll go blab it out to the world. Um, but I bet who does 100% have a great idea right now what it does, just much like they do with alcohol.
1: And then talking about sleep is actually interesting because I think for a lot of athletes, sleep is the mediator. So yeah. it might be the reason why some athletes are experiencing stronger HRV, stronger recovery, stronger feelings of performance is because we have seen some athletes who struggle with sleep have just big they, sure. they, they're they really helped out by THC yeah um, and then for other athletes we I've heard from some athletes that say like if they take THC before bed their REM sleep drops down and they're like yeah. incapable of achieving REM sleep and so I think it's just it's so individual specific at the same time yeah
0: so pay attention to your individual response I would say if you are a person that struggles with some things that is worth talking to a medical professional about, uh, which I am not, so I will stop talking now so we don't have joint parties all over the fucking USA of people that listen to this podcast. Um, so, quick segue before we get into some some training stuff. Uh, this is on Lil Nas X. I really want to talk about it. I love Lil, Lil Nas, Nas X. Lil Nas X is incredible. Yeah, such a cool dude. Uh, early 20s. Um, his ba- basic background is he grew up outside of Atlanta. Uh, he was in housing projects for a period of time. Um, within that time, he was also um, knew he was gay, but wasn't, wasn't open or uh, wasn't out, out about it. Um, and so and during this time, he spent a lot of time on the internet. And when I say a lot of time, I mean a lot of time on the internet. So he got famous for, or not famous, but what he did is he created lots of memes. Uh, and even including fake accounts, he's like a Nicki Minaj fan and things like that. Um, and was doing comedy videos, couldn't really find exactly what he wanted to do, and wasn't exactly sure where he was gonna go.
1: And then it wasn't until college when he started writing songs. And he was actually writing songs in his closet, which yeah. I find really interesting. That's, that's, Granted, college dorms are basically a closet. That's so it is probably his closet dorm room. And what he end up doing was he's he bought the beat to the Old Town Road for $30. Wow. And then he recorded for $20 in less than an hour. Um, and so he just was out there yeah. hustling. So
0: Old Town Road exists, this yes, song. Yeah. And Meanwhile, it's like, how do you get traction in a song when you're just a guy in a dorm room making weird country tracks? He He's music? in a closet. closet. In a closet, for sure. Um, and what he did is he created memes. So he created over 100 memes to try to promote this. None of them gained traction. Essentially, he was trying to go viral. All of a sudden, the TikTok hashtag yeehaw challenge happened, which used this song. And suddenly, this song becomes big over time, it becomes the biggest song in history um, by downloads and and other metrics. And so if you know anything about this story, it's really fascinating what happened with the country music charts, how it brings up questions of race and um, sexual orientation and other things. Um, But the whole time, he was so confident in who he was and in himself. And it let him find that, OK, Old Town Road isn't even going to be a one hit wonder. He's going to become this music superstar and this mogul who embraces. Everything about himself, from his, you know, from being gay to the type of like artist he wants to be, to everything else, and I loved that about him.
1: And if you can, if you can fathom just by the ten percent idea, that ten percent of people are going to disagree yeah. with anything that you do, he faced a ton of
0: criticism. well. And then imagine that you're doing country music from that perspective. Per- of, yeah, it must I was going to
1: say that must be a very large percentage, unfortunately. And he dealt with the criticism so well, and he actually had it. he was asked on the Breakfast Club podcast about how he dealt with and handled the criticism. He said. I feel like I used to, but now fuck your kids. We really get one chance to do this to my knowledge. I don't know what happens when we die. So I'm not about to pander to your kids or you or anybody. I even have to do this with my family members. If my family members don't agree with what I'm doing, I honestly really truly just want to live my life by this idea that this is our one shot and I want to beat myself.
0: Yeah, and I love that, that you know, this is our one shot and that's why it connects to what we were talking about with the artificial general intelligence and why we do hundreds or why we quit our jobs or why you jump into a relationship or anything like that. It's this courage to be like, okay, I'm not pandering to anyone. I'm doing myself. And like that's something I always try to come back to with my own decisions. It's like, is this for myself? Or is this trying to like jump into a brand that would be hashtag David Roach rather than who I actually am and who I feel like
1: I think the challenge though with decision making is that you're always going to have people in your head and oftentimes yeah. like those people are people that you love and that's deeply true. care about and I think as humans like we're so easily capable of being swayed by those people because yeah. there's emotions like really beautiful emotions wrapped up into that and I think that's something that's so challenging and to get back to Jeff Tweedy okay I'm just like yeah. I'm on a Jeff you really like Jeff, Jeff, Tweet. Jeff Tweedy and Ezra Klein right now I'm just like feeling them they're yeah, great.
0: They're giving you lots of warm tingles, but I haven't heard of them. I haven't heard of uh, Jeff Tweedy until this podcast. Okay, but
1: Jeff Tweedy has this whole idea about like holding strong to who you are and how important that is in the creative yeah. process or just the decision making process in general. And he has this quote. That's one of the problems with humans that we can be talked out of loving something that we can be talked out of loving something that we do, and we can be talked out of loving ourselves easily, unfortunately. Ooh. And that's powerful. Like the idea that like, and I've I've experienced that oftentimes within my own life when like someone I love doesn't agree with what I'm doing, yeah. and I'm like, whoa, 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 do I have to think about yeah. like my whole worldview, how I'm what I'm doing, how I'm doing things, and it's a challenge. Yeah,
0: and so you know what he's saying there is talk people that are talking you out of things. And what we want to do is talk you into things. Um, That's what we're trying to do. And that's what we recommend you do for others too. When you're yelling, you're awesome or whatever. Let's talk everyone into making that leap, whatever it is. So, you know, in conclusion, quit your job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I also think, I think this is like a really interesting exercise is, find people in your life who
0: are those yeah, people yeah. that
1: talk you into things. Like, you know, the idea about like writing down on a post-it note, like the people that you care about most, yeah. like really think about, are those people that talk you into things? Because hopefully that's like the kind of support that you have in life and you can build that. Like I
0: fucking love it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's get to the big training topic, which are five ultra lessons from Run Rabbit Run. Uh, this is basically things that apply universally. This isn't just our opinion. I wanted to create uh, a little rundown of, Ideas that when you're out there, you realize that this applies no matter what the training methodology is or what the background is. And you wrote
1: this for Trail Runner. It's actually an incredible article. Go check it out. It's uh, your writing is more of an example of why you should write I a should, novel on this. My,
0: I will. I will give myself props for one sentence, which is uh, opinions are like assholes. I have hundreds that I am passionate about. <laughs> good
1: and kudos to your editor, Zoe Rome, yeah. who allowed you to publish that. Go Zoe.
0: Yeah. Zoe, just, <laughs> Zoe just lets my freak flag fly. She talks me into shit. Um, so the first big one is that downhills are key. Uh, I, I We were talking a little bit about Abby earlier. And so when I saw her at mile 6.5, I got to, you know, with 6.5 miles to go, actually, at the very end, when it's just a descent to go, I got to say fifth place, Nicole Bitter, was just up the trail. You can catch her. And not only did Abby catch her, Abby almost like broke away from me. So I tried to sprint down the mountain after her. She
1: was running sub seven pace down the mountain.
0: Yeah, at mile 104 or whatever. What a bonkers experience. And it really underscores something I've seen over time is if you look at trackers at these events and correlate where people are on the downhill segments versus where they are in the overall race, you can usually determine how the race is going to go. And it shows that downhills are free speed, but they come at a high price, which is your entire quad existence.
1: And you did a great job in Trailrunner of outlining the idea that these eccentric muscle contractions that you're experiencing when you're running downhill, yeah. are they cause a lot of damage to the body. Yeah. And so historically, we've always thought that that's muscle damage. like That seems obvious that your muscles yeah. are being damaged from these eccentric muscle contractions. But what's really interesting is the newer research is coming out and showing that in addition to muscle damage, it's also neural damage, which I think is Fascinating <laughs> that your nervous system is being impacted by these eccentric eccentric muscle contractions. That's wild.
0: So it's a little bit debated still, but there was a twenty twenty article um, in the Antioxidants Journal. Also, a very funny name for the journal. I feel like it needs an exclamation! Antioxidants.
1: I'm actually a little confused why this article was published in the Antioxidants Journal. This strikes me as one of those articles that they tried to get in like Sports Health or something, and everyone was like, uh, "Well, I mean, we I think one,
0: know. one hard part is cha- challenging the conventional wisdom on any of these big topics. That's true because it's basically like saying, you know." We have humors in our blood, right? It's a big deal to, to say these things. Um, but it essentially had a nervous system response for why this happens.
1: And they broke it down in a really interesting way. So this was their quote in terms of the neural damage that people experience from eccentric muscle contractions. They call it acute compression axonopathy of the nerve endings in the muscle spindle. And this is caused by the superposition of compression when repetitive eccentric contractions are executed under cognitive demand. And that's heavy. But essentially that means the idea that like when your muscles are contracting under load, it creates this stress on the the spindles um, that creates this neural damage.
0: Yeah. And which we don't truly understand why that is exactly um in terms of like what the trajectories are with different athletes and things. Um, but it does underscore the need for training this pretty consistently.
1: And I think, yeah. And I think that's, that's the big reason why this is relevant is because you can train the neuromuscular system in addition to the muscular system. But I think it was also kind of a no shit moment for me because it's like, yeah, well you're running hundred miles. Like every single part (laughs) of your body is going to be damaged. Like your nervous system is going to be damaged. Your kidneys are going to be damaged. Your muscles are gonna be damaged. All of it.
0: Yes. Um, in the, the, the training elements here are one strength work. Check out our weekly uh, strength template on, Line two, do steep downhills in training. That is really freaking key um, that you do downhills that are as steep or steeper at faster than you'll go on race day. Um, the next one is extended downs in training. Uh, there is some evidence that especially there was a 2016 study in sports medicine that said, um, though the duration of a single downhill does matter. So it, it's worth a training camp. If you don't live in a place that has those.
1: I think the other thing about downhills too, is it's like one of my favorite types of runs is running up a mountain and then running down yeah. it and then being done the run, yeah, in pizza. but I think it's actually great to run up a smaller mountain then down and then run up again and down again. So like continuously reinforcing and mixing up the movement patterns in which you're running up and down is great as opposed to just one straight up and then one straight straight down stimulus.
0: Yeah, no, I totally love that. And steep hill, hill intervals being another one. So two to three minute hills on, on steeps done a few times before the race hard um, with rundown recovery kind of mixes up some of the stresses that you might not see if you're just doing these on long runs. Um Number two is walk like a boss. Uh what, It was pretty shocking to see the differ, the variation in walking paces, even among athletes that were strikingly similar in every other way
1: and then when you think about that variation how that adds up over a race so if an athlete is walking at two and a half miles an hour and then you have another athlete walking at four miles an hour and you add that up over 100 miles of a race and it's like hours hours so many many hours, hours even if they're
0: not hiking much throughout that time and it's something that can be trained so the output when you're hiking is pretty darn low relative to running so it's not like musculoskeletally mediated or aerobically mediated like running is it's much more neuromuscular and biomechanical so you just need to freaking do it. You just need to learn to walk fast.
1: And I made this joke before on the podcast. I'm pretty sure I'm in like, maybe like the 95th to 98th percentile in terms of my running. You're 99.99. Okay, I don't know. But I'm in the first percentile in terms <laughs> yes, of walking speed. Agree. And that's purely a choice. Like I'm just out there ambling. I'm walking to Trader Joe's. Like I, you know, I'm really busy, but I'm walking there like I'm not yeah. busy. And I think it's about just like making the choice in your life. Walk up the stairs really fast. Walk to Trader Joe's fast. Like you get to practice walking throughout all of life and just make it fast.
0: Yeah, Um. actually one of our one athlete on the team who's one of the best athletes in the world. And we found recently also like maybe the best hiker in the world based on some recent results. So I was asking this athlete, why are you such a good hiker? Because she never has to do it in training. Um, and she said, my dad was a fast walker, which I think is really interesting. She just was trying to keep up with her dad. And eventually she became the best at it. Um, the
1: third point on this topic is that gut training is essential. So yes. we, we get out there and at the A station and it's basically just like how fast athletes can cram quesadillas yeah. and potato chips and sausages into their mouth. And avoid
0: like projectile puking that prevents you from absorbing calories in the future. I mean, uh, one of the most fascinating training oddities I've seen in coaching is that when I coach athletes that have a ski background they have no issues with fueling on race day. So and what's, um,
1: it, what's your theory on that?
0: So my theory, and let's tie it to Run run, Run in particular, Emily Caldwell, first 100, um, she was third place at this one. Fucking awesome. But in the in the previous conversation, what um, we talked about was she was like, I'm going to take a gel every 20 or 30 minutes throughout the race. Usually I'd say, okay, don't do that. That is probably not going to end perfectly um, if we stick to that. But with her, knowing she can from a ski background, I was like, great, you're not going to have any issues because those skiers have to eat so many calories on the move on these long training days that they train um, not just the GI system itself, but the epigenetic lines of cells that then come after that create this context where in, they can absorb anything. On race day. They, she could probably eat a whole pizza out there every 30 minutes, let alone a few gels.
1: And I think this underscores the idea that sometimes I have athletes that like their their life schedule is all over the place. Yeah. They're trying to fit in runs at random spots. And sometimes if an athlete like goes and has a brunch and then does a run 30 minutes yeah. later, because that's life and that happens, it's actually great GI yeah. training. I mean, don't actively go and like try to make don't yourself out. Un- uncomfortable, but like these situations in which you have to run at weird times of day and like you have food in your system, like embrace that. I remember, that's stomach training. I actually remember
0: in the old days when you're in med school, occasionally you'd have like Something really fun like Reese's or something. You bet. Gut training. <laughs> so I do,
1: I'm actually good at that. I'll have like a pop tart like five minutes before I go
0: run. And I'm yeah. fine. Um and and there's all like more specifically ways to do this is um, fueling on most runs over an hour. That's obvious. Um, fueling on at least half of long runs, like you will on the race itself. Um, ideally, 250 to 400 calories per hour. Um,
1: Another thing that I've seen actually too is if you drink. So a lot of athletes that I coach kind of sip their waters yeah. or sip their gels in training just. Take the entire water all at once. Like it's yeah. it's a little bit. It's good training to to experience what the the stomach feels like when it's full. Well,
0: avoiding overhydration, yes. yeah. um, and things like that. <laughs> the, the disclaimer That's,
1: that is true. Very important <laughs> aspects there. Thank you. Uh,
0: and you know, occasionally, every once in a while, maybe once every few weeks or month, doing like four hundred to five hundred calories per hour or a calorie bomb, like you know a couple slices of pizza during your run, something like that uh, can really get the body in a place where it's able to absorb fuel on race day and freaking rocket when other people are uh, projectile vomiting into the trash can.
1: The fourth point is the idea that form does matter. Yes. So you think about multiplying form across 100 miles <laughs> or in the case of run rabbit around 106 miles and that makes a big difference when you yeah. think about like impact forces of the body, efficiency. I mean and even like so we talk about running form but we're also talking about hiking form when we yeah. talk about this too.
0: And so you know all the studies say changing some form, don't mess with running economy. We've talked about why that's problematic and you might want to think a little bit more about your form. But I think what's really relevant here is the form that you can hold at hour six of an ultra marathon is way better than the form that breaks down and you just are on the side of the trail or walking all the time. And so thinking about what limits the wasted motion the most, I think is really important for ultras. Like, you don't want to be like a bouncy like, bouncing the whole time like a kangaroo. Like, that's probably not the best idea. The
1: caveat there, as you're talking about the bouncing kangaroo, my mind goes to Jim Like yeah. who looks beautiful when he's running. He's a bouncing kangaroo, but his cadence is probably 140. Yeah. But it works for him. He's, and so I think this is about the idea that, like, sometimes even if your form is non-traditional, sometimes that may work for you, or it may be optimized for you in this process. Yeah,
0: he's only man more beautiful than Ezra Klein to me. <laughs> um, and the fifth one is the big one, which is raise the ceiling to raise the floor. Um, and I think that a lot of people that are doing these long events think that it's all about putting in the time. And the problem is that that's just not how our physiology works. Um, aerobic threshold is the key for ultra performance, like a hundred percent. And so aerobic threshold is something that we can hold for a few hours where the body switches from lipid metabolism to primarily glycogen metabolism. Um, and the reason that that's relevant is, it's how it determines substrate use during activity. So if you go a little bit too hard, um, relative to aerobic threshold at hour eight, you are going to bonk because you can't refill it fast enough uh, to make up what you're losing just from the effort level,
1: and that becomes a pure numbers game. So yeah. most people have about fifteen hundred calories of glycogen storage available, and if you think about how much you're burning in an yeah. ultra, and how, like the ability to replace is probably about at the the, the ceiling, probably about five hundred per
0: hour for yeah. for
1: athletes. Like, do the numbers on that, and that yeah. runs out fast <laughs> if you're exceeding aerobic threshold.
0: And that's a really fascinating point, actually. Is how much can you actually take in per hour? A twenty twenty study in the Nutrients Journal. Upended what we thought about this. So you always heard 300 to 400 ish calories per hour um, This study had 20 elite male runners take in 120 grams or 90 grams or 60 grams of carbs per hour 120 grams so four calories per gram. So 480 calories of carbs Um and the athletes that were taking in that high level had way reduced creatine kinase. So um, indicative of muscle breakdown and better performance on the race day. So perhaps we can absorb a little bit more than we think, but at the same time, if you're up above aerobic threshold, you're still burning too much to replace the whole time for most athletes.
1: The numbers still don't add up. What was wild to me last night was we were watching the mountain bike, um, world championships in the U S it was super cool to watch. I love watching mountain bike uh, championships and an athlete, they had three minutes to go, took in fuel with three minutes to go. And I was like, what? Yeah. That's what but it, it just underscores how important fuel nope. is in this process, but also thinking about the idea of not exceeding aerobic threshold yeah. for these long ultras. Even the
0: athletes that are doing the half marathon championships that are running like 57 minutes and a half marathon nowadays are taking in fuel during those races. And I think it's because there's some science out there, especially science that might not be available to everyone that shows that it's really important for, for performance. So the big big takeaway there is that aerobic threshold does mediate performance at events that are 20 hours long because of how it determines substrate use and activity. But aerobic threshold itself is based on metabolic and aerobic processes that just take an hour or a little bit more. So if you're not working the upper end, you're also undercutting your lower end. And so make sure you don't neglect that when you're training for ultras. It
1: was super helpful for me to think about that in terms of the like numerically to see it on paper. I think that to me was eye-opening about pacing at ultras and why this stuff matters because like you just can't fight the number system. Oh no,
0: no. And most importantly, work with a sports nutritionist or someone like that um, who can make such a good difference. So we're going to get to topic two. I included this question because I want to hear the answer. This is called making it happen. Um, Do you want to read it or should I? I
1: can read this. Go for it. So this is, this is question is from M. My question is for Megan. And my question is, how do you do it in (laughs) all caps? I love it specifically how do you crush bitches not only in your training but also in your PhD program on top of being a coach and having a business and balancing being a wife dog mom and having that have time having the time to have fun while also taking care of general human needs. I'm a post-collegiate runner currently in my third year of graduate school, trying to get my master's in biology. I'm spending long hours at school, neck deep in data analysis. And while I can usually get in a run every day, it seems like I just don't have time to take care of myself on a day-to-day basis. How do you do it all and not get burnt out? I think I want to pursue my PhD after finishing my master's, but I don't want to continue not being able to take care of myself. I'd also like to have time to pursue other hobbies, passions like coaching without sacrificing my job and education. And then in you (laughs) included this, this is very kind. You are awesome in all caps. Seriously you're such a big role model and a badass bitch boss. All thank you. Badass bitch boss. one of those days today, like I feel like I'm dropping a lot of balls today. Yeah, yeah. And so thank you for including that, David. I, one of the, some of those words I needed to hear today. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> um, so, you know, I think the big point here and the reason I wanted to include it is partially because I get to see your brilliance and, ama- and amazing achievements and everything behind the scenes. I also get to see you dropping those balls. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, actually, I love how this how M phrased it. So she she said, "How do you take care of general human needs?" Yeah. And my answer to this is, I actually just don't. To be perfectly <laughs> well, honest. No, you take use. care of
0: needs, not so many wants.
1: That's actually that's a good point. There's a big yes. difference between needs and wants. But like I, I think about this past week, I think I probably brushed my hair like once or twice, and yeah. that that was about the maximum. I think about my car right now, and it's actually great to drive my car around and take it on trips because every Anything I need right now yeah. is in my car because but, it's all dirty. It's all been sitting there. Speaking but of your car, it's all right there. It
0: still has temporary plates that expired forever. My, ago. my
1: car still has plates <laughs> in California. So I think, like, uh, I'm not fantastic at handling, handling the general needs category. But I think for me, it comes down to the idea of just like, like laughing at that and being yeah. willing to laugh at that. Like, I think I've had a lot of people in my life that kind of are encouraging me on the scale of like being a disheveled mess to being Martha Stewart are yeah. like pushing me more in the direction of Martha Stewart. Like, wouldn't it be life, wouldn't life be great if you made four course meals or yeah. like, you know, organized your house or like created like, I don't know. I don't know what Martha Stewart does, but like.
0: Uh, she does insider trading. <laughs> <Martha Stewart> does. <laughs>
1: That's does. Right. Do not do insider trading. But I think like, I don't know. I just, I, I think at some point in time, you just have to realize like where you draw your boundaries and then shit will inevitably go wrong. Like yeah. at some point, maybe I'll get pulled over for my, my license plate <laughs> So I'm just going to laugh at that stuff.
0: Hopefully we're not like admission to a crime on the podcast.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, I know. (laughs) I was thinking
0: about that too. Well, we're not insider trading, we promise. Yes. Um, But yeah, I think that seeing you do it all is really impressive. But I think it's also important for people to know that your badass bitch bossness relies on like all of this other stuff that people might not always see you know and so how i mean how do you do it more logistically like how do you set up a schedule in a life that lets you do all these things especially when you're in med school and in the time constraints were just so massive well i
1: think i just start backwards from my day like running to me and exercising is what brings me the most yeah. joy and it's the most important part of the day and so that's like a non-negotiable like mm-hmm. that will happen and i will go out on a run or on a bike or whatever it is at the cost of whatever deadline is that's due <laughs> that i that i have And that's just the calculus that I've made for my own life. And it's the calculus that makes me the most happy. Unfortunately, I've gotten pretty good to the point where like, I really don't miss deadlines, but that requires a lot of prep. It requires a lot of just like smooth transitions, not sitting in the bubble bath (laughs) for 20 or 30 minutes after (laughs) a run, even though that's that's what I want to do. So it it really requires a lot of that. And I think too, at the end of the day, it requires setting pretty strict boundaries with things. So setting boundaries with like time on phone, but also setting boundaries with, you know, I'm not going to work after 6 PM because this is like the time that I need for my happiness and just being willing to set that and go to sleep at 8 PM.
0: I think one of the most powerful things I've seen you do that I totally adopted as soon as I met you is get it done in the morning. Like Mm -hmm. no matter what, even if you're you're talking
1: about running and exercise
0: or whatever you absolutely need to do, which for you is going to be running exercise, as you said, is like, if it doesn't happen at first, it might not happen and life may get in the way, or you might not be fully present or all these things. So when you say plan backwards, I always find that like, Sometimes that has meant a a 3am alarm in your past. Fortunately now it doesn't mean that, but um, that's been really instrumental to me because I'm like, shit, if I want to do the things I have to do, I also need to make that happen. Like, and I think it was clutch, especially when I was doing law and coaching and all these other things to be like, okay, I have that one uh, element that is mine and I know it always will be mine. So I have to seize it. Um, So, you know, for those out there that might be struggling with it, try to make sure your exercise happens in the morning if it's important to you.
1: And sometimes I can feel selfish, but I would would counter that with the idea that that running time buys me back three or four hours of time because it makes me like my most productive, happy, joyful self. And that pays dividends in the future. So even if it feels like a selfish act in the morning, just go do it. You'll be better for it. And I think it's just, it's awesome for like long-term health and yeah. performance. And anyways,
0: as, we're, as we say in the fight you don't need to do everything. You don't need to do anything. You're fucking awesome as you are. And just really sit down in that thought that all of these things we're doing are kind of, you know, our neural networks, just having some fun. So, um, whether you achieve a to-do list or not, who gives a shit? You're still awesome.
1: That's a great tagline. Neural Networks having some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really like that. That should that should definitely go on our podcast somewhere. But do you want to go to listener corner? Let's My do it. favorite part of the podcast. I am pumped for this. Yes. Do you want to start with the first one?
0: <laughs> yes. I call this one Hot Dogs. So, P.S. This was after a nice email. I love your stories about Addie Dog, but as a veterinarian, I cringe seeing you feed her whole slices of pepperoni pizza and other foods like that. There's a condition called acute pancreatitis. It can be very scary. Dot, 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 dot. The
1: dot 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 is a little horror. Right?
0: Yes, yes. Fortunately, she's gotten to nine years old now, so I feel like she might be operating on bar- borrowed time. But just like you said, that uh, you wouldn't trade off. The, the running for more time. I don't think Addy would trade off the pepperoni pizza I for don't more think, time. I don't think
1: she would either. That being said, though, I have been on an anti-inflammatory diet yeah, yeah. for my autoimmune stuff. And that means that Addy is on an anti-inflammatory diet now. So Actually, she's no, had a lot less pepperoni pizza in her.
0: I've been ordering things that are unhealthy just for Addie. Oh
1: gosh, so. you did not tell me that.
0: <laughs> I've ordered frozen chicken nuggets that she can have for best. Well,
1: I'm glad you read that <laughs> listener corner question. The next one is called Fist Ultra, first ultra fist bumps. And this is from B. And i lo- like, kudos to B. So B said, I just completed my first ultra last weekend, the Macedonia 50K in Kent, in Kent, uh, Connecticut. It was an indescribably awesome experience. I've been running on the roads and trails for several years now, but this spring I first got interested in the ultra scene. When I heard you on the Tour Runner Nation and Ginger Runner Live podcasts. I was instantly drawn to your approach to coaching, running and life. I devoured Happy Runner and built my training plan upon your concepts. <laughs> I have to say... It was the most successful, healthy and fun training block I've ha- ever had. And all of that translated on race day last weekend. Uh, I'll add my point. Woo-hoo! Woo! Even though I recently moved from Denver, where I ran at altitude and on some tough trails, this course was a beast. It had almost 8000 feet of elevation gain. After facing some calf cramps and self-doubt in the early going, I found my form, gaining confidence and feeling stronger as the race went on. Initially, I'm sure if I would finish. I was pumped when I crossed the finish line as fifth overall finisher. What? And this was out of 16 starters, but still very unexpected and very satisfying. I already can't wait to take on my next challenge. Your inspiring and optimistic approach fueled me throughout the summer and was a source of strength on race day. Thanks for being amazing coaches and awesome stewards for the sport. Keep kicking ass and eating pizza. <laughs> That's from B. And I love that sign-off. Yeah. That should be my email sign-off. Keep kicking ass and eating pizza. <laughs> also, Just send that to all my fancy business contacts. I
0: didn't need to hear that. Keep kicking ass and eating pizza. And, um, uh, in parentheses,
1: we... pepperoni pizza. Yes,
0: um but we what a fucking beast and i love that for anyone that out there that is doubting yourself of what you're capable of put yourself out there see what can happen because i think what b shows is that big fucking things are ahead um okay i love this is a whole story that is the most inspirational thing forever do you want to read it or should i you should i
1: Ooh, for pop burning, is, you got this
0: one. people will have to stick with it it's a great story and this megan called this one naughty dogs to the rescue from listener a Um, I graduated from college with degrees in political science and Middle Eastern studies. I studied what I love and have no regrets about that. However, I was not overly employable and needed some direction. I understand that experience. Um, At that point, it seemed like the next logical step for an individual in my position was to attend law school. (laughs) also very funny uh reflection on law school i went through the whole application process and was accepted to my top choice i applied early and found out in january that i'd be headed to georgetown i had a bit of time before moving so i started volunteering at a dog, dog rescue near my parents house a very long story short i met this incredible brilliant and infamously naughty dog i fell in love i'd been active in sport growing up but my relationship with running had been pretty inconsistent this dog needed to be highly mentally and physically stimulated to keep him balanced. Also, how well, Megan is. I was just about to say that it sounds like me. <laughs> I started taking him for runs, hikes, walks, and pretty soon, I was seeing him every day. Going for adventures with him was the best part of every single day. I couldn't remember the last time I felt so full of life in such a pure and joyful way. I had to go to DC in April to find a place to live. We were sitting in his kettle, snuggling after a run. I was thinking out loud, and I remember saying, You know, Stitch, when I retire dot dot dot, it's probably not a good sign to already be thinking about retiring from a job that you haven't even started school for yet. Next line. I didn't go to law school, got myself settled in Michigan and adopted my running buddy, Stitch. Um, And then a lot of really nice things after that. Um, uh, But I just want to say, Hell yes.
1: I love that finding, story.
0: Finding in that naughty dog um, what the person was, what was already inside that person. You know, when we said um, finding someone who t- talks you into things, that dog was doing that. You know, Stitch was doing that. And the best part of this email was the follow-up that had Stitch's big, happy, smiling oh, face. Oh,
1: I didn't see that. Oh That's not God. in our podcast outline. I'm, I, I'm for sure. that. Actually,
0: I'll add it to the Instagram um, post tomorrow. Oh, like perfect. Second, oh, second I, love I love so that. I love that.
1: All right. This last one is from Jay. It's called Super Dad Memories. And I think this is an awesome one to wrap up with. I submit for your consideration, my dad's theory of human weirdness. Something he said to me when I was wearing with being weird that made me feel a lot better. It goes like this. Nobody is weird because everybody is weird. When we say she's weird, what are we really saying? We are saying she's different than me. But everybody knows that everybody on the planet is unique. Everyone is different than everyone. So of course that person is different than you. So because everyone is different, i.e. weird, it's not actually weird at all to be weird. Therefore, nobody is weird because everyone is weird what's better to embrace your weird smiley face. I lost my dad in the summer of 2019, but brilliant shit like this will stay with me forever. And yeah. what a beautiful way to end. Um, thinking of you, Jay and, and your dad and his memories, but also I just love that. Yeah. Also, I was doing math in my head with weirdnesses. So it was yeah. like, if then, and, but summary, we are all weird and yeah. all freaking awesome.
0: And we love your weirdness. We love everything about you. And so rate, review, subscribe, do everything you do to podcasts. Uh, we'll be back hopefully on Friday with a bonus po- episode.
1: Woohoo.